Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion with me, Jilly Smith. This week, I'm on a trip of a lifetime, a tour of some of the best wineries in California's Napa and Sonoma Valleys as a guest of the California Wine Institute. Now, for wine buffs, this would be a dream, a chance to chat about malolactic fermentation and compare notes of gooseberry and black cherry from Napa's famous Highway 29 to the mountains of Sonoma County. But wine buff, I am not. And a week with a coachload of top sommeliers, buyers and wine journalists was seriously intimidating. So I set myself a challenge. Zero to hero, in a week, fighting imposter syndrome along the way. Happily, our first stop was at the Robert Mondavi Winery in Napa, home to the man who helped to bring wine culture to California. Inga Schiffler told me why education was such an important part of loving wine. I'm still here after 20 years because Mr. Mondavi had an incredible passion for wine. He was an optimist, he was an innovator, and I'd never met anyone like him in my life who was so driven to make wine a part of people's lives. But what does that mean? What did he change? We were coming out of Prohibition. Mm. Prohibition ended in 1933, and even though we started in 66, 33 years later, we were still living in this Prohibition mentality. And Robert Mondavi, being of Italian heritage, grew up with wine at the dinner table. He didn't understand why Americans didn't have wine on the dinner table. So he was determined to say, it's a healthful social beverage. Let me help you to enjoy wine as much as I do. Yes, it was about improving life. Improving life and having a joyous life and a gracious lifestyle. He just wanted to make sure that wine was part of everyone's life. So he made beautiful wine accessible. He made beautiful wine accessible and he gave us this beautiful winery where you visited today, this incredible mission style architecture, iconic to the Napa Valley. He really understood both sides of the business, the production of great wine and the marketing of great wine. Yeah, and putting beautiful pieces of art here. There's a lot to look at. It feels like a day out. Mm -hmm. I would say we were one of the very first wineries that offered tours, that offered programs, that offered tastings. Um, he created my job. I'm a wine educator. Yeah. And he, he said there should be people at wineries who just educate, not necessarily sell. If the wines are good, people will buy them. But the first thing you need to do is educate people about wine. Yeah. So he created quite frankly, my job. Yeah. Do we need to know a lot about wine in order to love wine? No, you just need to taste it. You need to be curious. You need to try everything. You need to be curious and you need to be honest with yourself. Do you like this? Do you prefer this? Because there's thousands and thousands of wines in the world and you just need to find the one that fits you. Yeah. 
So no, it's, it's, it's about curiosity. Yeah, because wine has become one of those things that, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of cultural capital in knowing mm-hmm. a lot about mm-hmm. wine. Mm-hmm. What would Robert Mondavi have said about people who buy to impress? Mm. I think he would have just said that the people should enjoy the wines that they drink, whether it be less expensive wines such as Woodbridge or all the way up through our reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. You, you know, the best wine that you have for you is the one that's in your glass. Yeah. David Pearson is the CEO of Opus One, producer of the single Bordeaux-style blend, dreamt up as a joint venture by the Californian Robert Mondavi and the French Baron Philippe de Rothschild. In the stunning winery on Highway 29, the Medici Antiques and Miro Originals reflect this synergy of classic French and Californian. I asked him if knowledge was the key to appreciating fine wine. All that matters is whether it's an agreeable, pleasant, tasty product to drink. And everybody immediately has that hedonic response. You either like it or you don't. And then, and so I would argue that, yes, you can enjoy wine because it's either enjoyable or it's not. It doesn't mean all wines are enjoyable. And that shouldn't be a, an impediment to people enjoying wine. But it is. It is to a lot of people. I know it is. And it's, it, it can be incredibly intimidating right. because there's a sort of assumption that you have to be, you have to have done your exams right. to know about wine. And if you haven't done that, if you're not in the know, y- you can't come to the party. Well, I know, but if we, just, if we just accept that, then it'll never change. So when, when I first got into studying wine at UC Davis, it actually helped me get into the whole business. I met a Frenchman. Uh, a gentleman named Armand Cotin, still alive. He was in Louis Saint-Georges. And he came over to UC Davis to tour with the professors I'd arranged for this. And he saw, this was a long time ago, but saw the professors. At the end of the visit, he calls me over to the site. Come here, come here. He says, uh, all of that, you don't need it. It's not worth anything. He goes, if you want to be an expert in wine, taste 500 wines. And then when you're done with your degrees, he said, let me know. And he would bring me back to France and teach me French winemaking, which he did. And that was all good. But the point is, somehow through your podcast and through people writing, the idea, and this is what Robert Mondavi did so well, the idea that wine is not about snobbery or elitism or knowing to, having to know how to describe them, but the joy and magic of sitting around a table with your family and friends is some of the most important, luxurious, special times we have. And people do meals, I was, and they never forget them. So why is it so important? It's not, it's not that they had a 100-point wine from Australia or something. It's that you reconnect with your friends and family through this food and through the wine. Breaking bread and telling stories is the oldest human thing we've ever done, mm-hmm. all the way back to drawing on the walls. Mm-hmm. And I honestly believe that in our busy, busy lives and days that we work and are all doing so many things that when we stop and take a breath and reconnect, it touches our deepest levels of our humanity. Mm-hmm. And it's the most simple thing that you can do. And it's actually about slowing down. You said it before. Yeah. It's about slowing down and taking time to, to really taste those flavors. That's right. Breathing. And it's, it's, not, it's, it's this weird alchemy, right? Because if it's just sitting around a table talking about wine, the magic doesn't happen the same way. Mm. And it's just talking about it's this storytelling and exchange and connecting that happens with food and wine and people. And when it, it doesn't happen every time. But when it does happen, it's so special that you go, I want to do that again. And then you spend your whole life learning how to make that happen and learning more about it. And I think that it's like uh, the same question can be asked with classical music. Mm-hmm. Can you appreciate classical music if you don't know the, who the composer mm-hmm. is, was? Yeah. Do you appreciate it more if you recognize, oh, that's Mozart or Vivaldi? 
It's the exact same. And then, and then know the story behind it. And, then, and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper, and it becomes a lifetime process. I mean, with our kids, they sort of, sort of can pick up Vivaldi when they hear violins. And that's sort of like going, you know, um, uh, Black Cherries makes you think of Pinot Noir or something like that. And so somehow we have to get across that the joy and the importance of wine is not dependent on knowing what it is. It's the desire to connect with family and friends around a table at a time. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And the 14 is 97 cab, two Merlot, and one Petit Verdot. And really with these, you get to compare if you still have some of the Cabernet Sauvignon left. It looks like everybody does. But as my um, expert colleagues diligently swirled, sniffed, tasted, and swilled in tasting rooms, from Ridge to Francis Ford Coppola, Gergich to flower wineries, I look blankly at my notebook. Cab Sob is a little bit not as refined. I asked freelance wine writer Martin Gillum how I could learn to develop a palate like his. Some people are simply born with it, the way that uh, great athletes um, you know, can either run the 100 in nine and a half or play center field for the Yankees or whatever it is, that no matter how much uh, we would like to do that, we can aspire, but we can't get there. But luckily, we don't all have to be experts. Uh, I think the biggest thing is, is loving it. Um, one wine writer said many years ago, the, the way to learn about wine is to pull corks. and the more hundred of corks you pull, the more you're going to understand and enjoy the wine. Yeah, and that is clearly true. You train your palate. But the idea that it's a gift is really interesting. Does that mean that, as with all, most gifts, you're drawn to using it? Yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, why do we get interested in anything, mm. I suppose? Mm. Uh, uh, we go back, we, we can't remember why. It's mm. just uh, we, we found that we were loving it. Uh, you can train it just as with food you know you can learn to understand it music you can you can learn to to play it and you can get to a, a certain level and I think hanging around people who really do have, have good palates and more importantly open good bottles for you <laughs> um, and just just picking stuff up um, uh, there are some excellent books that have been written about breaking down taste and and, and how to taste wine um, but if you're not going to do it professionally, then it doesn't really matter, does it? I mean, so, so long as you know it. There was uh, uh, one Australian journalist who said once, uh, very importantly, there are only two important questions about any wine. Is it any good and is there any more? <laughs> and those with the gift can carry the notes in their memory. Back on the bus, I asked Stefan Neumann, Master Sommelier at the restaurant dinner by Heston Blumenthal, how he does it. From a sommelier point of view, you see actually these dishes sort of growing and developing along the way, and you do taste them at different stages. So you always have a few little ideas in the back of your head where you say, well, potentially this could work actually really good with, let's say, that smoked uh, sea broth, which, we, which will come on the menu in half a year's time. So yes, there's several things which you look for. Um, on the one hand, you look for, for wine which has sort of the balancing act between freshness and body. On the other hand, um, some wines which have sort of intersection between power and elegance. I mean, I have a few dishes in my mind um, for dinner, which well, I think like, well, this could work really well with this dish. So it gives you, I mean, it just sort of feeds your creativity and it helps you to sort of build up a database of wines where you're like, hang on, I've tried this half a year ago. I think this is the really good wine now for this dish. That's the reason why we actually take notes. If you watch us, you know, we take so many tasting notes. Do you score wines? Um, yes and no. Um, but when I score, it's more about, to my personal preference, if I like the wine than anything else. 
and you know some people sort of make their free ticks if there is an amazing wine they are normally make plus so it's like one plus two plus three plus um but it's more for personal it's more personal thing so it's like maybe a little bit more of an emotional score as well we're like oh i really like this wine and how would you do that a little emoji <laughs> well yes I mean thing is that I'm still old school so I'm still writing everything down there's no emojis there's just a plus and it's it's kept simple but by day four I was feeling defeated I just wasn't tasting the fudge those oyster shells or wine gums but as I stared into a glass of Peter Michael's Lapre Midi I had an epiphany what do I do at my own desk when I hit a block I close my eyes and let a stream of thoughts make their way onto my paper or my screen I call it dream writing, an unravelling of unconscious ideas that are mine, all mine. And as the words flowed, so did the wine, as a story with character and depth. I was thrilled. My zero to hero journey may have taken a left turn, but I was living the Mondavi dream. As we got back onto the bus, I showed my ramblings to fellow journalist Alice Lascelles, who's just been shortlisted for Feature Writer of the Year at the Louis Roderer International Wine Writer Awards. No pressure then. So with Lapre Midi, yes. which was the 2016 Sauvignon Blanc, I had glittering sparkle, lemon, soft golden time, sunsets and warmth, an easy chair and a rickshaw. <laughs> a rickshaw, that's interesting. So I was going into this thinking, all right, this is a Sauvignon Blanc, so I immediately have some expectations about what I'm going to taste. So I'm going to taste things like uh, gooseberry, nettled, grassiness, zippy kind of citrusiness, that are the sort of classic characteristics of Sauvignon Blanc. So I suppose there's a problem there because I have these expectations. So I was immediately quite confused by this one because it, it was a bit unusual for Sauvignon Blanc and I was just discussing this with the master of wine we have here on the bus and he was agreeing that that little touch of a Sauvignon uh, grape that's also in there might have altered the character quite a lot. So playing the game, the, immediately I got the scent of focaccia, both the herbal rosemaryness, the saltiness and the sort of breadiness, so it was much uh, more substantial than I was going to expect a Sauvignon Blanc to be, which is typically quite laser-like. Sunday roast, uh, quite savoury. Um, that's interesting. So you're not really getting what I got at all. Now I'm well. Maybe that golden thing, though. I think for me suggests something with quite a lot of body or broadness yes. to it, which was what I was finding unusual. You lose me at rickshaw a bit. Well, rickshaw was about <laughs> sitting in the back. First of all, like a bicycle came to me, and I thought, no, it's really not about actually pedalling. Yeah. It's about being pedalled. Okay, I like it. so quite a chilled out kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's try Le Pavo, the 2015 okay. Cabernet. Yeah. So this one had me walking through fields, dried, muddy fields in southwest France. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really quite specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I had walking shoes and shorts, mm-hmm. uh, dog walks, mountain paths, lazy, long walks, silence, sigh, peace. Yeah. Okay, well, when you talk about walking through the south of France, um, there was a bit of uh, that Garrigue, what they call the Garrigue note, which is the like dried herbal, like parched landscapes of southern France. So you see, I think you might have been getting that there. And I got a bit of earthiness too. So I think you can sort of assemble the same kind of collage of yeah. notes there. And interestingly, this was after Lapre Midi. So I was kind of getting into it. I was feeling a little bit more confident by this time. It's the fourth 
of five wines. Yeah, in fact, altogether, there's quite sort of some Mediterranean notes in it. So you've got the herbalness, black olive, a little bit of that black olive we've talked about, a little bit of sort of eucalyptus, just sort of parched landscapes, I think, definitely. Oui. But also it had for me this, um, think about the texture of it. I was thinking about how this, this very, very fine kind of delicate tannin, you know, the, the texture in your mouth, almost like a fingertip kind of sensitiveness that was really lovely mm. to it. Lovely. Which compared to a lot of the, the cab, Cabernet Sauvignons that we're tasting while we're here, it was much more delicate and restrained than some of these real big mouth-sucking kind of tannins. Yeah, but you know what? The the thing for me was that I enjoyed it much more. I've been sitting at these tastings feeling, oh God, I should be writing stuff down. And I I just didn't know, I didn't want to write anything because somebody might have seen me write the wrong thing. Yeah, and this. Oh, I think everyone feels self-conscious about their tasting notes. I was just blanking out what the marketing director was telling us to, to, to look for. And I enjoyed it much, much yeah. more. And I'm kind of looking forward to the next one now. Well, good. I'm pleased to. I think in the end, it should be fun rather than anything else. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast Extra Portion. I'll be back next week with more stories from the world of Delicious Magazine. Do let us know what you'd like to hear through any of the Delicious Magazine's social media channels. And I'll see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.